Welcome to another episode of Single Payer Radio. We broadcast from the historic Habern Building here in downtown Louisville. And Single Payer Radio is a project for Kentuckians for single payer healthcare. We are an affiliate of the Kentucky chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. We believe that a national publicly funded nonprofit, that is nonprofit single payer system is the solution to the current system that values profit over patients and leaves many of us, more than 100 million of us with medical debt. And we're a longstanding community partner with WFMP 106.5 Forward Radio. The views and opinions expressed on our show are those of the speakers and not the station. I'm Mark McKinley, a volunteer with the group. Single Payer Radio can be heard on WFMP 106.5 on Mondays at 2 p.m., Tuesdays at 7 a.m., and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. If you can't pick up our signal, no problem. You can live stream us at forwardradio.org. If you miss a show, you can go to forwardradio.org and go to the cloud there for the station. WFMP is an all-volunteer station. We rely on the community for your ideas and our funding. Join us, forwardradio.org. And how about some fantastic news? Governor Andy Bashir announced yesterday, Thursday, October 21st, that, uh, that Kentucky Medicaid recipients that's about 900,000 of our neighbors will gain coverage for their vision, dental, and hearing care. Thank you, Governor. A few short years ago, we were campaigning against Matt Bevin's attempt to force outrageous reporting requirements on our neighbors just to keep their health care. And another quick note, uh, earlier this week, U.S. prosecutors in Manhattan have filed a lawsuit against the insurer Signacorp of overcharging the government, that's us, for their Medicare Advantage program using the upcoding practice. That is making it appear their patients are more ill that is more expensive to treat than they really are. That's fraud. The solution, a publicly funded, nonprofit, national single payer system. And let me say big thanks to Steve Katz. He's a member of the group out of Lexington for coordinating the schedules for this week's guest. Mary Garrich out of Vermont and Martha Schmidt out of Washington. And let me pull up some info about Mary. Mary is a longtime activist out uh, who's been working. She currently lives, let me just say this. Mary currently lives in Vermont. She's been a healthcare and human rights advocate for many years on state 
national and the international level. Mary was co-chair of the United States Human Rights Network Network's Universal Periodic Review Task Force for Geneva and Nationwide Wide Advocacy, and also the co-chair for the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights in the same arena for the past 10 years. Mary, I hope I didn't butcher that too much. No, you and, did a and great I, job, though. It was perfect. And, and I hope you can expand on that as we get into our conversation about your, your experience working through the uh, United Nations and their Human Rights Council. And Martha, Martha Schmidt, she's an international human rights expert and activist, a lawyer, uh, degrees in international uh, training, human rights, She's a volunteer for the Medicare for All. Uh, she's a volunteer with National Single Payer. It, decades of working for justice, whether it's in labor, community organizer, organizational director, uh, in political campaigns. We are very fortunate to have these women working against the profiteers. Mary, Martha, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mary, do you want to start off with kind of an overview of um, is, is healthcare really a right, a human right? Uh, when you listen to folks uh, in you know, our, our Congress, they don't believe you. What's up? No, they don't. And in fact, a lot of healthcare advocates don't even think that it's a right. And so I would just like to point out that from the standpoint of international law, well, first let's back up to something called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which actually originated with Eleanor Roosevelt from our country, right? United States citizen, wife of a former president that made this declaration saying these things should be human rights. She took it to the UN, they passed it, and the UN membership passed it, and it is a formal international document. Now, that being said, somehow <laughs> between Geneva, where it was passed, and Washington, D.C., uh, people lost sight of the fact that this was us, the United States people, doing this. So they preferred not to call healthcare a human right, although as time went by, they signed a number of treaties. Now, when I say treaties, it's, it's, a, it's a real international treaty, kind of like the kind that ends a war, you know, like... <laughs> when we ended the war with Japan, we had a treaty. So if the United States breached that treaty, just imagine what would happen. The entire, there'd be outcry from the entire world. Of course, if nobody knew that the United States breached that treaty, there wouldn't be that outcry. So we have treaties that the U.S. has, there are two steps to make it 
absolutely binding on the U.S. One is to sign it, and there are a number of them that we have signed but not ratified. So once it's signed, then it has to go to Congress, and Congress has to ratify it like they did with treaties on the First and Second World Wars. When Congress ratifies the treaty, it is the absolute international law for the country. So we actually do have treaties that were ratified, one of which is called, and I know it's technical, but International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, ICCPR. You may say, what does that have to do with healthcare? Well, it does, <laughs> because there are provisions in it that talk about everybody being treated with equity, not equally, like none of you get health care, right? <laughs> but no, all of you get health care, especially the most marginalized. And there are other treaties um, that we ratified, um, the covenant against every form of racial discrimination, other kinds of things that all have to do with human rights. And so when we talk about human rights, we do have that for a right in the United States. Our government ratified that treaty, but they don't like to talk about it as a human right, because if they acknowledge that it's actually a right, then, uh-oh, the whole world is going to go, wait a minute, you always complain about other people violating human rights. What are you doing here? So they refer to it as measures and improvements and all that sort of thing. But in fact, internationally, we have international treaties that say that healthcare is a human right in the United States. And I don't, I don't know if Marty wants to comment on that aspect of it as well, or I don't want to, I've been talking a long time. <laughs> I, yeah, well, the whole issue of whether healthcare is a human right, it, it does depend on <clears throat> the universal declaration as well as the treaties that the U.S. has ratified. Um, it's also true that there are components of the right to health care in um, various treaties so that, you know, collectively they create binding obligations. For example, the, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, which um, the U.S. actually has ratified, has a specific provision requiring uh, the right that, that mandates the right to health. So it, it, the U.S. can't say that it hasn't ratified a treaty that requires it to recognize the right to health. Also, the U.S., before the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the U.S. Um, became a party, ratified a treaty, the Treaty of the World Health Organization, mm -hmm. which requires every single state member to provide the highest attainable standard of health care. So that's an, a really long, long-standing obligation. Um, the other thing is, you know, Mary talked a little bit about the Civil and Political Rights Con Convention, which the U.S. has ratified. And um, besides, you know, the, what you might expect in there, like the right to vote, the right to run for, as a candidate, um, 
the right to have political parties and so forth. There's also due process rights protected in there, but one that's really relevant to the right to health is the right to life, Article 6. And it says that no one may be arbitrarily deprived of the right to life. Well, a lot of times people in the US think the right to life has something to do with abortion. Um, but in fact, the right to life is much broader than that kind of um, interpretation. And it does um, have quite a lot of bearing on our mortality rates, on the availability, the universal, whether or not we have universal access to healthcare, which is one of the uh, principles that's mandated in the right to health. So there are a number of places where the U.S. has existing obligations um, that, you know, aren't generally very known in the U.S. and where the State Department, which usually responds in, in these international forums, uh, doesn't really acknowledge those obligations. So okay. I think in summary, I'm sorry, I was just going to say in summary relative to healthcare being a human right, we have to recognize and name it as a right. And then we have to claim it as a right because we are human beings and those are our rights. So I just think that we, Marty and I agree, we need to really emphasize that folks. Okay. Uh Mary and Martha, can you give us like some background on the discussion and the, the folks that were involved in discussing to file a complaint? Oh, yes, I can, because I came into this after um, I've been working on this project for more than a year now. Um, what happened was that the March for Medicare for All organized rallies in at least 30 cities in the summer of 2021 right. um, to publicize the need for a national single payer financed healthcare system, a universal system where healthcare would be free at the point of access. And um, as a result, one of, one of the statements that was distributed by this developing movement was that they intended to file a complaint with the United Nations. And so I got, I got in touch with the organizers and started having a discussion about what this would mean um, and, and explaining the history of the of filing a complaint with the United Nations because there is a history here you know it was the we charge genocide petition back in the early 50s late well there was actually two attempts one by the NAACP and then the we charge genocide petition you know the most famous person involved in that was Paul Robeson um, which was which there was an attempt to file these these um, basically complaints, you know, of 
gross violations of human rights with the UN General Assembly as a way to bring um, international attention to the system of gross racial discrimination, apartheid, if you will, in mm -hmm. the United States. And although there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a, a formal kind of helpful response from the United Nations, the publicity was incredible for the movement. And there was also a lot of pushback against the people who signed these and you know that we don't really have time to discuss the whole history of the cold war and how that was used against human rights activists but it was and it was specifically it, it specifically targeted african-american activists who used human rights as a way to um cl make claims and to get um attention and so you know, bringing this history forward a little bit, telling people about it and what, you know, this, because this is a, a little peculiar. It's not like the reviews that Mary can talk about, but it's filing a complaint of gross violations of human rights. So we are trying to show that this is the way the U.S. deals with healthcare. Is It's a deliberate policy. It's, it repeatedly violates people's rights. And they, it, it is an inhuman and degrading kind of system that involves multiple deaths and gro grave, grave harm to human beings in the United States. So that's why we're using this past, this past history. So it's a, an unusual kind of approach. There's no, there has been nothing, no complaints of gross violations filed with this with the UN Human Rights Council relating to healthcare and nothing against a rich country. Mary, can you? And I, yeah, I, well? to Marty's point, um, the interesting thing is that um, she's right. People don't know, people in this country don't know that that right's being violated. And people internationally don't know it's being violated. And one reason is because our government has consistently at the UN for at least uh, 15 years now presented the, quote, Affordable Care Act as a health measure that enforces people's rights. And one of the reasons that the international community has misunderstood that whole situation that it created. I mean, yes, it was an improvement, but it's still insurance. It's still big companies profiting off of our suffering and getting rich because they're letting people die. So what, what happened is that when they go over and talk about this is a national insurance system, the other countries don't realize exactly what they're talking about. Because if you talk to Germany or France or Britain, they have national health systems and they call it insurance, but it's not for profit insurance. Okay. And it's national insurance. So they think a lot of times, and I, and we experienced this in Geneva, 
that their understanding was that the Affordable Care Act was actually like the British healthcare system or the French healthcare system, because those are termed insurance also. But it's not the same thing as insurance in the United States where people are making a profit. So that's a good reason to collect stories about how this non-system that we have does not <laughs> fulfill the right like other countries do because it's not that kind of insurance. It's totally for the purpose of companies making profits. And that's one reason the stories are so important and that it's important we file this gross violation because it is a gross violation. They're taking the concept of every other industrial of we have a government system that's going to give people health care and making it sound like we're doing what they're doing, but we're not at all. So that's why, to Marty's point, that's why it's so important. Can, uh, can you uh, give us uh, kind of a window into some of a, a meeting, say, when other complaints have been filed? Um, like a, a threshold that has to be met and ah. some of the criteria that that has to be uh, met in order to be seriously reviewed and kind of a timeline of what your expectations are for filing this complaint. Is this, are, are folks, I know the United States folks are just going to roll their eyes about this, mm -hmm. but how do, um, uh, how does a complaint get beyond the eye rolling and other countries saying, we didn't know this, we didn't, I, because a lot of this, um, again, uh, corporate media may um, occasionally have stories about a problem, but it's very rare that a national nonprofit single-payer system is discussed as a solution. Um, I'll leave it to you. Well, I can, Marty knows an awful lot about this, but I would just like to, say that one of the things is that um, one of the things that Marty will tell you we have to say in our complaint is that we've exhausted all remedies here in the United States and therefore we need them to intervene. Well, we don't have any remedies available to us here in the United States, which in and of itself <laughs> should be further evidence that healthcare isn't considered a right. Um, so we're hoping that, that, that these stories that, that the organization is collecting will help do that. And I'll let Marty speak a little bit more to the timeline because I think she's more familiar with it maybe than I am. Is that right, Marty? Yeah, sure. And, and um, first of all, you know, to do this, involves, of course, a, a process within the Human Rights Council. And um, the complaint 
the most important thing to know, I think, about the complaint is that it can be filed by an individual, a group, a, so a non-governmental organization. It can be filed against any member of the UN, any member state. Um, and um, the, the essence of the, of the uh, complaint is that it's based on a consistent pattern of gross human rights violations. So the gross violations require that there's, that these are severe. There's severity of offenses, that there's a pattern, not all of these necessarily, but these are the things that, that the council looks at, whether there's a pattern of violations which are inhuman or degrading and whether there are repeated violations. So as you see with all of these criteria, um, what's happening here in the US in terms of the violations of the right to health would could fit into this um, framework. Um, there's also related areas which are also themselves rights violations, which go along with the right to health. There's the right to be free from discrimination. So we have a lot of discrimination in healthcare. We also have, um, uh, and it's also important to, and I think we haven't maybe stressed this enough, but to mention that healthcare is considered generally a social right. Um, and people have some familiarity in the US with quote, civil rights and tend to impose that kind of category on everything. And the reason why it's important, I think, to think about you know, the big, the way the international human rights community looks at, at this is that often social and economic rights involve some positive, more positive duties or are deemed to involve more positive duties. For example, setting up a national healthcare system that is decommodified. So, you know, that's obviously a huge task. So, um, so, so in that way, something like the right to the right to health gets less attention because it requires a, a level of um, funding and distribution that is not, you know, very favorable for the insurance companies, for example. Um, so let me just talk a little bit about the process. Okay. Once the, the complaint can be filed at any time, but there's, it, it, and it, it's reviewed by um, the staff of the council, as well as a, a working group on communications. And there's five state members of that. And so they look at it to see if it's a sufficient uh, complaint. Does it cite gross violations and does it, um, you know, conform in other ways with the requirements, like it has to be a non-political, like it can't be from a bunch of groups that are involved in, for example, partisan campaign politics. Could um, I interrupt for one second, Marty? I'm sorry, but I just want to make sure that everyone 
listening knows that when you're talking about states, we're actually talking at the UN, they call nations states. So we're not talking about states as in states of the United States. We're talking about countries. Right. I'm sorry, go ahead. The countries of the UN. Right. And so um, the process is, you know, so the complaint is reviewed by uh, this working group. And then the working group can do different. Well, and so once it's deemed to be sufficient, it will then go to the U.S. for its response. To so it'll go. Presumably, it goes to the Department of State because that's the the organ of our government that handles uh, interactions with the Human Rights Council. And then there's you know a procedure beyond that of um, once the U.S. responds, that it goes through other parts of the council um, because presumably we're not going to get, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're going to probably have the pro forma response from the State Department about how everything's just fine. And, you know, yeah. the, so um, ultimately, it, I think it's kind of interesting. Ultimately, the full Human Rights Council, they could publicize this. They also could decide, uh, they could, along the way, the committees involved in, in the process and working with the state, because they're trying to get the United States to do its job, right? To live up to its obligations. They could also offer, as they do to so-called third world countries, they could offer technical advice. They could offer to um, monitor um, the attempts of the U.S. They they basically could, um, you know, help to ensure that the complaints that the the allegations that we'll be making are actually addressed. Okay, uh, Mary and uh, Martha, as far as working group that's that's made up of members of the, the different states. Mm -hmm. um, who, who composes that working group right now? Um, I, it, as far as, you know, is it, does it get into a, well, they just got an ax to grind with everything the United States does. Well, um, go ahead, Marty. There, the working group is elected by the full UN Human Rights Council, and it and the working everything in the UN has to be has to balance the um, the members the membership from the different regions of the world. So that's always you know you have you have you have representation from Africa, you have representation from from Latin America, you have representation from Asia, you have European, you know, European, <clears throat> excuse me. So currently, and that changes um, according to the elections in the Human Rights Council. So um, the current membership um, includes Spain, China, Egypt, and Peru, and there's an open space 
because Russia was expelled from the UN Human Rights Council. And Russia actually was one of the Russian Federation was one of the states that was on um, part of the working group. Um, the US, I should mention, is now a member of the Human Rights Council. Um, it withdrew under the Trump administration. It has been a member of the Human Rights Council off and on for many terms. So the US has had, if anything, a disproportionate opportunity to participate um, in the work of the Human Rights Council. Okay, I've I just got uh, one question. I don't wanna to get too much in the weeds on yeah. who's this and that, but it seems like a couple years ago, there was a UN representative in Alabama, Loudoun County, mm -hmm. Alabama, yeah. came in to document the conditions, the raw sewage and you know sewer systems, et cetera. Um, how did, you know, is that something that was in response to a complaint? No. Or, or well, it wasn't in response to a complaint, but in part, Mary. Maybe, it but because it, it was the UN special rapporteur. Yes, but there are special rapporteurs that visit countries without having complaints being filed. Okay. There have been a number. So, a special rapporteur. Rapporteur means storyteller in French, okay. essentially, <laughs> or reporter. Reporter okay. of stories. Reporter, yeah. okay. So, um, for a special rapporteur to come, almost any. Uh, nonprofit or non group can request a special rapporteur by giving them reasons that the rapporteur needs to come here. And part of the problem is that frequently a lot of their, a lot of the expense of their journey here also has to be paid. So um, the UN doesn't necessarily finance their whole journey here. Um, but so that's that being said, those special rapporteurs can then go back and report. And I, I know we were in Geneva one time when there was a rapporteur reporting on a lot of the um, racial problems in the U.S. And, and the, the, the Human Rights Council happened to be in session. And so we sat in on it and they weren't discussing a complaint for a formal complaint, like the kind we're talking about filing, they were discussing things that they had gotten in terms of informal complaints, either, right. either by things that were submitted by what they call, um, well, they're basically non-governmental agencies in the US, like National Lawyers Guild that Marty does a lot of work for, or the Human Rights Network that I do a lot of work for, or, um, any of those things. And so um, that in Alabama was a special rapporteur. And Marty might be right. It might have been in response to a formal complaint. Well, I don't think formal, but that there was a complaint about this. Yeah, there was. Water about the environment. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I think the rapporteurs, but they, they're they're related to this, but it's a different, actually a different, a different human rights yeah. system from yeah. what we're talking about. 
Okay. Yeah. They are related because it is another way that, you know, citizen activists can be involved with the UN system and um, get, you know, international attention yeah. on problems that exist here, such as, you know, the right to water, of course, is closely right. related to the right to health, water and sanitation mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. part of the same article of the mm -hmm. Universal Declaration mm -hmm. as the right to health. And um, <clears throat> the, also that that was, a, I think that one you're talking about was the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Forms of Poverty um, also mm -hmm. made a trip, to, if it wasn't him, Philip Alston, who teaches at New York no, University wasn't. Law School, he did make a, he did make um, uh, a number of um, observations in a report he wrote after he um, visited the U.S. as well as other countries to look at the problem of poverty. So we have gotten attention <laughs> from the international you know, from the internet, from the UN special rapporteurs on a few occasions. I think the housing well, were, person too, right, Mary? There was housing, there was indigenous um, rights. There was, the water was a big one because it was not only down south, but also in Michigan. Yeah, and yeah. The, there was a, a big movement uh, on that. And also on, so yes, housing, also, in terms of um, prisoners' rights, there was a special rapporteur that came for that. Um, so, but again, that, and that's helpful because they can take the stories back, but it's not, it's a little different than the process that Marty's talking about with our filing of a formal complaint, okay. Okay. because what that's saying is here, we don't have to pay to have a rapporteur come over here, although we probably would be happy to, but just as a starting point, here are the stories and you, you want it to be extreme damage. How does hundreds and thousands of lives sound right. for, for, for damage? Right. You know, that's what okay. Marty's talking about. Okay. Can we uh, start talking about the steps that have been taken so far with this uh, uh, complaint that is being developed and what folks can do to assist in this. So Mary, Marty. Well, we, we have a, a, a website, um, the March for Medicare for all.org, M for M for all. Dot org, um, where people who have um, complaints, uh, uh, complaints who have stories about violations of their right to health care can actually fill out a form and participate in this process. So we're looking for witnesses, you know, we're looking for testimony from people. And let me just say the kinds of principles that are being violated. I want to talk about those mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that's really important because so obviously everything about healthcare isn't necessarily relevant to the Human Rights Council or a human rights violation. But the things that we're really looking for, I'll mention some of them and Mary can talk about them too. But there's, you know, one is universal access. And that means everybody everybody 
has access to health care um, and not insurance, but health care. Okay, we're looking at the human right to health care. And so universal, everybody in, nobody out, as PNHP loves to say. Um, the It's not only an issue of universal, it's also a question of the cost. So it has to be, quote, affordable and not in the way that it affordable has been totally weaponized by the so-called Affordable Care Act, which is just the opposite. No, it, it means that there are no cost barriers. It means that healthcare is free at the point of access. You can go and get healthcare. The financing and the payment is, is not done when you go to the doctor's office. It's not deductibles, it's not co-pays not premiums, it's done through a tax, a, a progressive tax structure. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, one of the really important parts of universal access. Another thing is that care is equitable, which means those who need the most care get the most, not those who are richest get the most care, mm -hmm. but those who need the most get the most care. And it implies there are various requirements. So universal access is one thing. We want to hear if people, you know, have to pay so much for their employer insurance that they can't even use it. And the deductibles are 5,000, 6,000, whatever, or that they, they just can't afford it. They're in so much debt. They have, they don't have access. We want to hear those stories. We want people to write about those. And um, another piece of this, of course, is quality, the highest attainable quality of care. We want to hear about people who got lousy health care, who were damaged by the way that they were treated by the health care system, or, or, or who know of people who died because they got substandard care, um, or no care at all. Um, we want to know about discrimination against people and culturally uh, care that's just not culturally appropriate at all. We want to know about those things. So I'll stop and let Mary continue. Those are just a few, you know, the kinds of stories though that we're seeking. Right. And so just to emphasize what Marty was saying about the equity, it's so it, equity means um, also that you get the care you need. So for example, if I need a certain medication and Marty doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's covered by the insurance, I need it, I get it. So it's not equal, like no, not everybody gets the same treatment or the same medication. It's what you need to make you healthy. And that's a really, really important point because it's so different from the way we conduct things now. We need to think of it, when we talk about healthcare as a public good, we need to relate to other public goods, public education. You don't see people saying, well, you do sometimes see some people saying, everybody should pay for education individually, but it's taken out of our taxes, or school buses, or ambulances, or fire departments. Those are all public goods, and they don't say, oh, wait, before I come put out the fire in your house, did you pay your insurance policy, your fire insurance? Oh, wait, can you come up with $5,000 
you know, as soon as we're done putting out the fire. No, that's not the way those things work. And healthcare should really be the same way. And so we want those stories about shocking things, whether it's that you had to file bankruptcy because you of healthcare debt, which we all know is the principal cause of bankruptcy in our country, or whether someone actually died because they didn't or couldn't get the care they needed. I mean, there are stories, all kinds of stories about people, particularly with cancers and things like that, that are not approved, no matter what they pay by the insurance company for certain medications and die because they didn't get those medications. So any kind of horror story, or if you're a healthcare worker and you see this happening, you see that someone comes to the emergency room and they, they're on their deathbed because they said they couldn't afford, it's the end of the month and they're on social security or, you know, or, um, or some sort of Department of State or Department of Economic Services funding. At the end of the month, they have to wait till the first of the month till they get any money again. So they couldn't come up with the $50 copay at their doctor's office, and so they couldn't be seen. This is terrible. This is all a violation of the human right to health. Um, okay. uh, Mary, let me just uh, repeat the uh, website that folks can file that. Please, yeah. It's the letter M, the number four, the letter M, the number four, the word all.org. Did I get that right? Yeah. You did. Okay. And, we, okay. and there is a place on there where you can, so if you can, if you need help filling out the form, or if you would rather relate your story to someone else and have them try Describe it. I believe there's a place on there where you, where you can say that you need that assistance. Is that right, Marty? There, yeah. there's, yeah. Okay. And uh, Martha, can you talk a little bit? And we're down to about the last uh, less than ten minutes. Um, about is there a certain number of testimonies or forms, documents that you need to gather before you can file this complaint? Can uh, studies be involved in, you know, submitting that uh, complaint? There was a, um, I, I think, a, a, a JAMA Journal of American Medical Association recent study um, uh, doctors um, Steffi Woolhandler and uh, David Himmelstein were involved with that, that revealed that soaring medical debt is setting U.S. adults up for higher risk of eviction, food insecurity, bad health outcomes, those types of things. What are, um, are you all looking for a number, a, a timeline? Um, we, How's we that hope, coming on? Yeah, well, we hope to file in the beginning of next year. Um, we obviously want a substantial number of stories, um, you know, and we're, we will sort through the ones that are similar because we want to document 
for example, the violation of universal access. Um, we especially welcome information, uh, just you know, to make a plug here um, about uh, the issues that affect prisoners. They could be from prisoners' family members about the lack of quality. I worked on a case involving a person who got COVID, and they would, you know, who is left in a in a in a cell all day long after he got sick and almost died. So we want those. We want those um, stories from family members um, and friends, you know, or people close to. Um, we also know that a lot of immigrants don't get care, and obviously, people are might be fearful about disclosing their identities. But other, you know, organizations like somebody from an organization can write about without divulging specific names of people can write about you know, specifically enough to write about what's happening. And that would be welcome um, evidence. We can also, as as you hinted, use uh, research. And so, and we will be using research. Among the research, of course, that we want and plan to include is the 338,000 excess deaths in the United States because we didn't have a single payer system. And that's only for part of the pandemic, that is not even the total. And several um, scholars have said that is, an, uh, is under reporting. I mean, that is mass murder. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, how um, are, are you, has there been any kind of, uh, I, I know that with Kentuckians for single payer healthcare, during our meetings, there can be an educational component and um, say 20 to 30 minutes of the meeting is allocated to uh, an issue that's going on. Uh, is that something you all would be interested in um, coming in on and, and we meet by Zoom is that something you guys would like to make a pitch directly to the group? Uh, I, I mean, think so. this, this show yeah. is, yeah. This, ra this radio program is a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer, but it would give other members an opportunity to hear and to, uh, to ask questions and about I, how and they I can just, help. Yes. You know, Mark, I just add that I think one of our educational tasks is to break down what the human right, what it means to say there's a human right to health care mm -hmm. and to talk about these elements, which include what we've talked about, universal access, highest quality of care, non-discrimination. But it also, you know, there's also a component here about uh, the comprehensiveness of care, like the availability mm -hmm. of facilities. And there are all these hospitals closing and you know, rural areas are just devastated, yes. as well as a lot of urban, you know, uh, deserts that are not profitable to the health industry. So it's really, I think, one, it, we really want to give people these tools, you know, the human rights mm -hmm. tools, the elements mm -hmm. of the human right to health so mm -hmm. that they can use those in their advocacy. Mm -hmm. that, that would be really good to help us uh, okay where do i start 
how can, you know, what's that first step we can take? Right. And um, so that's, I'll reach out to Kay and see if we can't get you guys on the agenda and I'll copy my email to you guys. And then you can, we meet the first and third Thursday each month and we take it from there to see if we can't, uh, uh, Kay's uh, newsletter that she sends out twice a month goes to, I think, 1,400 people across the state of Kentucky. So we know that there are folks being hammered um, who, you know, it's, uh, I got, that's so avoidable. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I got my most recent booster (laughs) yesterday, but it was a situation where I was having problems with my, I'm, I'm more analog than digital. And, and it's like, it kept sending me to a Walgreens in Nashville. <laughs> oh yeah, isn't Nashville just right next door? Yeah, oh yeah, but but it was, so I, so I said, the heck with this, I'm just gonna show up at the window. And they said, no, uh, you, gotta, you gotta go online for this. But it's those kind of things with our healthcare system that, you know, okay, I'll get off my phone. It's like, well, let me try it on my iPad. And it it went through, but it just makes it so, you know, the the digital portion. Yes. It's, it's, it's not for uh, patients. It's for billing. Right. Okay. And I've had the same experience also, you know, at the beginning when they said people could get various things the the way it was framed was it it sounded like you were going to get charged for a lot of things whether masks or test kits or whatever so that it wasn't clear like and since they were being distributed through like you know big drug stores right pharmacies it wasn't clear at all to people whether they had access without having to incur more costs and i that's still true now and this other issue about having to sign up online and also fill out many forms like for for me to get my second booster they the the place made us fill out a form that asks us what our religion was and all kinds of really impermissible questions and you could not you could not um you couldn't uh, proceed to get a scheduled appointment without filling out a f- this form. So it's yeah, really it's, been bad. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, well, it has been, uh, I'm so grateful that you guys made time to uh, share this information with us and our listeners. Um let me just say that for folks who want more information about this, they can go to it's it's March for Medicare for All website. It's the letter M, the number four, the letter M, the number four, all A-L-L dot org. You can get more info and um, we hope that um, that you'll be joining us at one of our uh, monthly, or we meet twice a month meetings. 
and share this with a group. And um, it's just been uh, very helpful to, you know, when, when a person here, oh, you're, you're going to file a complaint with the, uh, with the United Nations. Yeah, lots of luck with that, buddy. <laughs> um, but it's uh, by any means necessary, as they say. That's right. So, well, thank you. Oh, I'm tired. I was just going to say thank you so much for having us. And thank you for all that your organization does to support healthcare as a human right. Okay, good deal. Uh, for Thank more information you. about Kentuckians for single-payer healthcare, you can go to kyhealthcare.org. You can follow the group on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and Kay Tillo's uh, address, if you'd like to reach out directly to her to get uh, an invitation to our meetings or uh, an idea, um, you can go to nursenpo at aol.com, nursenpo at aol.com. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. For Single Payer Radio, I'm Mark McKinley.